Hi everyone, I'm Jean, your new co-host for uh, Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. And I'm very excited to be doing this for the very first time. So today I have Chris here with me and we'll be discussing about his most recent Business Times article on how to make life decisions towards sufficiency and contentment. Thanks, Chris, for joining us. I don't know whether it's a good thing that I'm joining you now because this is your first session uh, as co-host. It's always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I usually make the host not so nervous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> okay, so just to go straight into this episode. Mm. So, you know, in I read the article and I enjoyed it. So, in your Business Times article, right, mm. you, you made mention about um, developing the philosophy of sufficiency mm. after the global financial crisis in 2010. And, and you know, like this uh, philosophy of sufficiency focused on not maximizing um, returns, mm. but rather to meet essential needs mm. through a very reliable way. And a, a line in the article actually, actually resonates with me when you said that, you know, you don't save all of your surplus for the future, mm. but instead use part of it to do the important things that you must do today. Yeah, and also in your article, you went on to uh, introduce the concept of Ikigai, clarifying the Japanese concept of Ikigai that is not the, you know, not the four-circle Venn diagram. Mm. And then you also brought up the seven needs that must be met when you, you, know, when you are considering your life decisions before f- making financial decisions. So I'm very, very curious. Um, you know, when you wrote this article, right, what inspired you to write this article about making life decisions, focusing on the philosophy of sufficiency as well as Ikigai? Yeah, I, I guess uh, I've always been talking about making life decisions first before financial decisions. Mm. And after a while, I realized that, I mean, if I keep saying that, you know, one should make life decisions, life decisions, people will be asking like, what's life decisions, right? I mean, financial decisions, everyone know. But what is life decisions? And how is life decisions um, in a way linked to life goals? And then I realized that you know, I was reading uh, some of those articles, uh, not written by us, but, but by others. And I realized that people use life goals quite loosely. Uh, people talk about retirement as life goals. Uh, they talk about funding their children's education as life goals. Um, they talk about maybe buying a property as life goals. And I realized that actually for us at Provident, mm. that's not really our definition of life goals. Right? I call those life events more than life goals because they are, they, are, they are in a way big events in our lives. Right? We retire, we want to send our children to school. Those are big events. But life goals are not that quote-unquote big. But it doesn't mean they are not important. Mm. Right? And a lot of our decisions that we make on a daily basis, on a short-term basis, actually they do affect our short-term and long-term financial decisions. So I thought maybe I should um, write an article and really help all of us understand actually what do we mean at Provident when we talk about life goals, we talk about uh, life decisions. And that's the reason why I write it. Uh, on the question on why uh, the philosophy of sufficiency, I think I spoke a bit about it in the article. I wrote a bit about it mm. at the beginning. Uh, obviously, I've only got 1,200 words to write, so I didn't unpack it a lot more. But um, and this story is not new. I think 
quite a number of people at Provident, they would have heard about this before. I mean, the backstory is that sometime in 2010, and that was just after the global financial crisis, and the GFC happened, uh, or the peak of the GFC happened in September of 2008. Mm. And those of us who have been in the financial services industry, we will remember 2008 to be a very dark period. Um, no one wants to go through the, the 2008 GFC. Uh, there was so much uncertainty, or rather there were so much uncertainties back then. Every day when we look at the newspapers, you see banks falling, financial institu uh, institutions going uh, bankrupt. Uh, from the US side, you hear of fund managers who have lost their clients' money. Some of them, they stand in front of a railway and they commit suicide. You know, it was a very dark period. And of course, even for us at Provident, we went through that very difficult period with our clients. And because of the GFC in 2008, and it affected me quite a bit. And I remember sometime in 2010, as I was mentioning, that I was outside uh, McDonald's at Tampines Interchange. And then suddenly there was this inner voice um, that came to me. Of course, as a, as a Christian, I believe that that came from God. Of course, that's not an audible voice, but I had this inner voice, that impression, and it went something like this, that the devil has used money as the weapon of mass destruction to destroy the West. Destroy meaning to harm the West. It's going to come to the East. Why? Because you know the East, uh, we're going to get more wealthy with the emergence of China as a, a giant. Uh, you know, you, meaning Provident, you have the license, you have the knowledge, experience. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. So that was the, the voice I heard. And it was just, I remember very clearly because I was, and I remember I was outside temp, uh, the, the McDonald's of Templis MRT. And that set me thinking, which is true, because we have the influence. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Right? And so that's how uh, we develop the philosophy of sufficiency. And well, I mean, I don't want to uh, elaborate too much because I've written about it in the article already and you have just mentioned it. Yeah. The philosophy of sufficiency, it's really the anchor mm. that we use for everything that we do here, whether be it planning for our clients, whether be it investing for our clients, or whether be it advising our clients, everything is anchored on the philosophy of sufficiency. It is the philosophy of having enough. But the question is, what is enough? Even some of our colleagues ask me this question. Right, so, but what, Chris, what, what is enough? Well, enough is not something that can be concretely defined. It's quite subjective because what is enough for me may not be enough for you and vice versa. So what is enough really depends on a person's definition and I wrote it in an article as well, it depends on or rather it's in a way influenced by your mindset on, of contentment. Contentment means that I cannot have everything. I know I cannot have everything but as long as I have those things that are important to me, it's enough. Right? But then that begs another question. What then are those things that are important? Yep. And those things that are important is what we call life decisions. What are life decisions? They are also ikigai decisions. Mm. Right? Why is it called ikigai decisions? Because ikigai stands for living your day-to-day -day life in a way that is worthwhile. 
Right? So you realize that they are not the big decisions or the big events like retirement. Yeah, but in your day-to-day small decisions, things that you find worthwhile, they are ikigai decisions. So you first make those life decisions and then after that, your financial decisions should be arranged in such a way or should be made in such a way to support the life decisions. Thanks for sharing. So I'm just wondering, like in terms of Providence approach after the philosophy of sufficiency mm. has been developed, how has it um, how has it changed in that sense? Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, it's not something that when we say we implement, um, that happens overnight. Mm. Um, I mean, when I've had that epiphany, it was 2010. Yeah. Today is 2023. It's been 13 years, right? And over the last 13 years. 2024 rather, over mm-hmm. the last, yeah, but still 13 years because it's just beginning of 2024. So over the last 13, 14 years, I think this philosophy has slowly permeated across the organization. So first is mindset change. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you read all our articles written by the younger client advisors and all that, you realize that they are very aligned to the philosophy of sufficiency. That's one. How it has changed Provident also, uh, we have in a way, amended or rather reword our purpose statement slightly. So uh, you can go to our website and you realize that this first make life decision sentence is, been, is now in the purpose statement. So it's mindset, the thinking, purpose statement. But in a more concrete way, it affects the way we invest our clients' money. Right? So in sufficiency, we don't maximize. Yeah. Because we know that there is a price to pay when you try to maximize return. So we look for the most reliable way to get enough returns to meet your goals. What is the enough return we have to calculate for the client? So that's investments and you know how we do it. We, and the most reliable way is to use evidence-based instruments, things like index, uh, things like market-based funds like dimensional. Yeah. Right? That's the most reliable way. It's not going to give you very high returns, but going to give you enough returns. In the area of insurance, in sufficiency, what we mean is don't over-insure yourself. I mean, sometimes salespeople will go to you and say, I think you need to insure this, insure that. It seems to that you must insure everything. But it's just impossible to insure everything. If you try to insure everything, you will buy too much, you will overpay your insurance premiums. If you overpay your insurance premiums, you will not have enough left to live your life today and plan for the future. Right? So don't in, uh, over-insure yourself. Be adequately covered. And as much as possible, pay as little premium mm. for your insurance coverage. And you can do that by using term insurance. And we have been advocating term insurance since 2004. In the area of planning, which you have articulated it, I think in our industry, Whenever we see clients, we are always asking them to save money for the future, save money for the future, delay gratification, right? But the problem with this is that life is uncertain. We can plan everything 20 years down the road, but we may never get to see what's going to happen in 20 years' time. And today is important as well. So in sufficiency, we say, no, there must be a balance. Whatever surplus you are left with, don't plan everything, don't save everything for the future, Take some part of that surplus, put it into things that are important for you today. For example, going for holiday. We just came back from New Zealand. Yeah. It's not cheap to go to New Zealand, but it's worthwhile. 
because the memories that you have built with your children, they are important things, right? The trade-off is you will have lesser to save for the future, right? But there is a place of enough. Okay, it's enough. I am not going to try and live a, a, a super rich life in the future and shortchange myself today because I don't know whether I'm going to live to see the future, right? So that's sufficiency. It's about, okay, it's enough. Let's balance it. Think about what are the important things I really must spend on today. Spend it today. Then the balance, yeah, save it for the future. So I think that has uh, uh, affected, uh, like I said, not just the mindset, the way we think, but uh, the way we plan. And even in our conversations with our clients, that comes out very strongly. And maybe I'll just end this answer. I mean, I can go on talking for the next 30 minutes uh, on sufficiency, but... Uh, last year, we did sort of like quite an, a few focus groups uh, with our clients. And one of the questions we ask our clients is, why did they choose us? There are so many providers out there. Why mm. did they choose us? Yeah. And something that came out consistently from uh, the majority of our clients is they came because of the philosophy, the philosophy of sufficiency. They resonate with it. And I, I think most of us, when we hear it, it's not rocket science. We resonate, right? But to be able to have someone actually make you do it hmm. uh, is a separate question. On our own, sometimes we get lost in our daily grind and we don't do it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'll just end here. Like I said, otherwise I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah, thanks, Chris, for sharing. I mean, I do agree with you, like everything that you said. So, for example, when you brought up about me going to New Zealand for the holiday, it's true that it cost mm. quite a bit, but... In return, we actually make memories. So we thought that that's quite priceless. So it's yeah. definitely priceless. I will assure you. I mean, my kids have grown up now. Yeah. And uh, more than a decade ago, I remember bringing my family to... Uh, not more than a decade. Like almost a decade ago, I brought my family to England. Mm. And then we went to watch Manchester United play live. All those of you who are listening to this, if you are a Liverpool fan, don't get angry <laughs> with me. Uh, it's my son who's a supporter, not me. I just support him. But until today, mm. everyone in my family remember that day. It's a precious memory. They're going to grow up and say, you know, my dad brought me to this match when we were still very young. Yep. So I can assure you, your children, they're going to grow up and they say, wow, you know, we went to New Zealand. Wow, it was on a camper van. Priceless. Yeah. I mean, you know, my younger daughter is still quite young. So sometimes we do wonder. People ask, oh, you know, she's so young. Like, Why do you want to bring her? But but she's part of our family. So we thought we go there, then we take photos, you know, videos. Then in future, even if she doesn't really remember, mm. we can show the, you know, show all these that are part of the memories. So I, I really agree with you. Yeah. And to be honest, in the past, for myself, I think when I, you know, when I started working on all that, like the focus was to save money. Mm. So sometimes you tend to scream and save on little things. But, you know, as I grow up, I also tend to resonate with the philosophy of sufficiency. Mm. And to try not to like, yeah, like you say, things are, life is unpredictable you don't save everything for today, then you might not even live to spend it. Yeah. I mean, what's the point, right? Yeah, I mean, what's I the point of trying to save everything for the future? And even if you get to live until the future to spend it, there will be trade-offs, right? And the trade-offs might be, might be that uh, when you had that chance to build those precious memories with your children, for example, you didn't. Yeah. And some of these things, once you lose it, you lose it, right? You can never get it back. Yeah. Or even with your parents, because mm. they are all aging, right? So, um, yeah. So, well, it requires a person to sit down, and hopefully, 
we become that partner for our clients to sit down and ask some of those very difficult questions to them that they will say, okay, yes, I need to make these important decisions today. And then for us, we help them to arrange their financial affairs to support those decisions. Yeah, definitely helpful. Yeah. So, okay, just moving on, right? Because part of the article is also talking about uh, Ikigai. Okay, so I, I know that you are a certified Ikigai tribe coach. So, and we at Provident actually had the honour to be your first batch of coaches. Oh, guinea pigs. Yeah, guinea pigs, yeah. So, no, we're just wondering, will the clients actually have chance to attend your workshop as well? Yeah, I plan to do that, actually. I actually plan to roll it out uh, across all our clients. Mm. In what form, I am not sure yet. Uh, the preference is definitely to do it physically. Um, but... Well, there is a you know there's a limitation of the number of clients that can attend this right. So I, I do not know what's the best, but yes, definitely, I definitely want to do this for our clients because it will help them with their relationship with us. Because if they are very clear how to make ikigai decisions, then when they come and have those meetings and even like those progress the yearly progress meetings with us, they will be able to articulate that with the client advisors. Mm. And the client advisors will be able to better support them. I just want to tell the listeners or the, who are our clients that they are in luck. Yeah, that I, they will have I, a chance to attend your Ikigai workshop. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think it will definitely better, be better than the one that I have conducted for you because you're the guinea pigs. No, right, right? And then we, we will I, try and improve yeah, it. Yeah, but too. we learned a lot from that as well. So, okay, um, so my, I'm also very curious. Like, How do you actually chance upon the concept of Ikigai and what made you want to take a step further to become mm-hmm. a coach? Well, I think Ikigai, this word Ikigai, this concept is not new. It's been around for quite a while. Uh, but like I wrote in the article, if you go and Google Ikigai, you will always see the four-circle Venn diagram. Mm. If you ask anyone out there, have you heard of the word Ikigai? They will tell you, oh, that four-circle, right? Yeah, so I, I, I thought it was that four-circle. I bought books on based on that four-circle. I gave one each to my my kids, you know, for them to read about it. Um, why did I chance upon it or how did I chance upon it? Actually, I've always been thinking about how to help clients make life decisions. Um, about a decade ago, I developed something for Provident and it was called the Finishing Well Circle. But that was too complicated. Uh, all the client advisors said that it's too complicated to use to help clients make uh, life decisions. And then sometime back, I went for a course uh, from uh, this guy called George Kinder. He's very famous in the US. He's very old already, right? He's very famous in the US. And he is the father of life planning, right? So why did I go for that course? I was really trying to find whether there's a better way to help clients make life decisions, better than the finishing well circle that I did. But even the life planning was too complicated and too difficult to actually, uh, for a person to execute. So, like I said, I, I, it's a continual process. I'm always looking for, okay, how can I do this better? How can I do this better? Right? And one day, I decided to go and Google uh, Ikigai. Mm. Uh, and I found that, well, there's this guy, an, an Australian, very interesting guy. He's an Australian. And uh, he married a Japanese wife. And he stayed in Japan for 10 years. He can speak Japanese and he's able to translate all the difficult Japanese words into English 
and he was teaching Ikigai. And the thing that struck me the most was when he said, if you think that Ikigai is a four-circle Venn diagram, you are wrong. Okay, that's nonsense. It's totally wrong. Okay. That's not the Japanese way of Ikigai. So I got very intrigued. La. Yeah, I read more. I listened to his podcast. And also, um, he has interviewed many scholars, Japanese scholars. right? And some of the podcasts when I listened to, I cannot, I cannot understand a word from... Some of them spoke Japanese. Some of them spoke like one-quarter English uh, with a very strong Japanese accent. But thankfully for this guy, because he's an Australian, he actually sort of like rephrased it again in English and I could understand. So after a while, I got more and more and more interested. And so I went for the course. That's how I ended up doing uh, this program. Okay. Hi listener, we hope you are enjoying this episode and the podcast series so far. If this podcast has been beneficial to you, please give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast platform. And if you are watching this on YouTube, do like this video and subscribe to not miss our future episodes. Thank you and let's get back to the episode. So in terms, in your view, right, what is the cultural significance of Ikigai? Uh, you know, as opposed to the famed four-circle Venn diagram. Yeah, so the four-circle Venn diagram is a very Western way of thinking. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Western way of thinking is inferior. It's just our makeup is different. Uh, and for most of us in Singapore, we are trained in a Western way of thinking. And the Western way of thinking is that there must be one purpose in your life. There must be this one big thing okay, that we all must strive towards. It's all or nothing. That's the very uh, Western way of thinking. And, and so whether it is the life planning approach or my finishing well, everything seems to be anchored on that one purpose. And that can be very discouraging. I mean, if I use the, the life planning way or my finishing well way, I'll be asking you this question, right, Jean? What do you think you exist for? What do you think you are created for? I mean, like, what? I mean, you've got to sit under a coconut tree for <laughs> one year or so, you may not be able to find out actually what is that one single purpose that you, you, you are born into this world for, right? Mm. And so that can be very discouraging because some people look around and say, how come this guy can find a purpose? How come I can't? Uh? Is there something wrong with me? Because I don't seem to have a purpose in my life. Um, the purpose in my life is just to be happy. The purpose in my life is just to bring up my children. Wow, that's like a very small purpose, right? So the, the, the Western way of thinking is like that. And the four-circle Venn diagram is like that because the four-circle Venn diagram, the converging part is purpose. Originally, it was developed by this astrologer. I wrote it in an article by this Spanish astrologer. Uh, astrologer uh, and he put purpose. It was this naughty guy, Mark Wynn. Okay, he went to attend a talk, a TED talk uh, by Dan Butner. And then uh, the concept of Ikigai got introduced to him. And then he replaced purpose with Ikigai. And um, when I listened to the podcast between him and my coach, because my coach actually interviewed him and basically said in a very nice way, why did you do that? Why are you going to replace people's you know, Venn diagram, the purpose to Ikigai? And he was trying to explain cheekily that, okay, I don't mean to cheat the world, you know. I just thought uh, that's what Ikigai is. And then it was only after the interview and after more talks with my coach, he realized that actually there's a wrong concept of Ikigai. The Japanese concept of Ikigai is not the Western way, one purpose. You have gone through the program. Ikigai simply means, well, you do your daily things that is worth doing. And they can be very small things. 
they can be spending time with your children, drinking coffee in the morning, walking in a forest. Some people call it forest bathing. Mm. It can be very small. It can be big things. Yes. Well, if you have got a big thing going, great. But if what makes you wake up every morning, and you find that wow, well, life is worth living, including waking up in the morning, sending your kids to school, waking up in the morning and looking at your your baby's face and you kiss your baby, and then wow, that's like worth living. That's ikigai to the Japanese. It's not the big thing, and they believe that you get the ikigai kan, right? The feelings of ikigai, even if you don't achieve those things that you set out to do. That whole pursuit of doing those things already gives you ikigai, mm. so it's very different and a lot more encouraging because all of us then can have ikigai. You don't have to have that one big purpose to be able to have ikigai. Yeah, true. You also mentioned seven needs, you know, that should be met, mm. like to try to get the ikigai kan, which is the the meaning of the, a life worth living. Mm. Some of the seven needs, right, includes like life satisfaction, like change and growth or meaning. So I agree that it's quite difficult to do it in reality. You know, you read it and it's, it sounds very easy, but when you want to do it, it's very difficult. So like for myself, right, I'm trying to take baby steps. So like to achieve like utori that you mentioned in the article, mm. which is the space to have a peace of mind mm. in the hope that you will improve my mental well-being. Mm. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is to disengage myself from like so, um, social media and like div- uh, devices. devices, correct, mm. in the evening when I spend time with my family. Mm. Yeah, It's tough. Actually, the seven needs is only one model. You know, I have to write an article of 1,200 words, right? And I struggle. I tell you, I struggle because uh, in the course that I went mm. through, there are many, many, many frameworks. I had to choose one. So I chose this one by the mother of Ikigai, mm. uh, Mieko Kemia. Um, and so his frame, her framework rather, sorry, her framework has got these seven needs that if one can fulfill any of those seven, you don't have to fulfill all seven, mm. but if you can fulfill some of these needs, uh, then you feel that life is worth living. right? But I just want to say that there are many, many models and even in those in that seven need, my coach actually read her paper and my coach said that there is one more need that Camille didn't put in. Mm. Okay, but she made mention about it, but it was not explicitly a need. And so my coach actually draw out this eighth need. And the eighth need is a sense of purpose. Mm. Okay, and that purpose. Yes, it's the big purpose we are talking about. It's the kokorozashi in Japanese, right? Yeah, that big purpose that you want to uh, achieve, right? So, but it's again not only when you achieve that purpose, you have kikai. The word here is a sense of purpose, feeling purposeful. I have this big purpose. I want to achieve it. And as I'm pursuing it, I get this feeling of ikigai kan. So, so, okay, you mentioned seven or eight of these needs, right? So to yourself, right, which of these needs are most compelling and why? Most compelling? Yeah. All compelling, but I think I'm at a stage of my life whereby I feel that I'm missing out some parts uh, on life satisfaction and ibasho uh, because, uh, you know, I started Provident 23 years ago. And it has been 23 years of 
Gambari effort. Yes. It's a lot of work, right? To set up a company and making it uh, work. So I have those uh, needs fulfilled, like sense of purpose, uh, short-term, long-term goals. Uh, so that part of the need, I think I, I have it. But the trade-off is that because I have to work so hard, um, I don't have time for myself. I don't have time for a lot of hobbies. I think I don't have utility. I don't have enough mental space. Um, so for me, utility was very compelling. Um, and 2024 is a year whereby I want to intentionally create utility for myself. Ibasho is very compelling. Ibasho is that safe space. Mm. It can be a physical space. It can be uh, friends, um, a community. And, you know, we just came back from Taiwan. Yep. Uh, and I really made uh, Taiwan, is, I, I shared with all of you during the company retreat, don't just chong, you know, and all that, right? Maybe I was just speaking to myself. Okay, because when I went to Taiwan, I was intentionally looking for moments where but I can go to my Ibasho, quiet places. Uh, and if I'm there with you all, I walk by myself. I'm trying to <laughs> do a bit of forest bathing, you know. So that Ibasho is very uh, compelling to me. Uh, as you grow older, you lose friends. Yep. You find that uh, even as you go up in senior leadership, you become, you become lonely because mm. not many people understand your burden. Yep. So that Ibasho, having a safe space whereby I can go and I know that I can say anything I want and I won't be judged, um, yeah, that's very compelling for me. Yeah, so some of these things. Okay. Yeah, hopefully in this year you will increase on your yeah. I hope so. and ibasho. I better do what I, I preach, right? At the end of the year, I'll come and ask you again. Do you have your ibasho? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Bukit Timah Hill, maybe. <laughs> hopefully, you will answer me in a very more positive okay. light. Yeah. Okay. okay. So in terms of ikigai, right? How has ikigai affected any of your personal decision making? I, I think, like I said. Uh, um, I mean, 23 years ago, I mm. uh, founded Provident. Um, my history is I was actually quite successful with the insurance company. Yep. Um, at the age of 28 years old, I was making like 100,000. That was 998. And 998, I mean, even by today's standard, if you are 28 years old and making $100,000, is a lot of money. But that was 1998 and I was making $100,000, right? Yes. And after spending three years with the insurance company, I was... I think taking home about 200,000. Uh, I was getting all those awards like MDRT, you know, mm. and all that. But there was no sense of satisfaction in me. The money was good, but there was no sense of satisfaction for me because I realized that I wasn't really providing advice for clients. I was just selling plenty of uh, products. I mean, we can say what we like. Uh, at the end, if no products are sold, I'm not paid. So I wasn't getting that sense of satisfaction. And I decided to leave. I made that decision to leave and basically told my co-founder that if we want to leave, we better leave now. Because mm. the longer you stay, in, the harder to leave, right? Because of the recurring comms yeah. and all that. Um, and when I left, uh, I decided that I want to build a firm like Provident whereby uh, it's going to be a professional service firm. We are going to be fee only. We, don't, we are not going to take commissions um, and all that. That... Of course, back then I didn't have the language. That was an ikigai decision, mm. right? Because Provident 
on the day when I die, Providence will be one of those things that it's definitely worth my life uh, mm. doing. Uh, there are a lot of ikigai kan moment in uh, moments in Providence, a lot of uh, uh, effort experiences. Gambari, we went through a lot, yep. right, uh, to build the firm to where we are today. Um, last year when we crossed the one billion AUM, that was an ikigai uh, moment. Oh, definitely. Yesterday I met um, a client, not a client yet, a prospective client. Mm. This guy is very big. And he came with three friends and one advisor who uh, helped him. And when I asked, how did you get to know about Providence? His friend said that well, we did our checks and uh, there were quite a few people mentioning to us that if you want to get advice and you want to be safe, go to Providence, right? That was an Ikigai Khan moment, mm. right? So... I think that decision to leave, uh, of course, at a young age of 30 years old, I lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went through very tough times. Not just me, the founding, people, uh, founding members of Providence went through a very tough time. But that decision to start Providence and build the firm uh, of today uh, definitely was an ikigai decision. Yeah, I think it's, it's very nice to hear... Cl- clients or prospective clients coming to us for the right reasons. Mm. And a lot of things that you have shared and went through are definitely very inspiring. So I think, you know, is there any advice that you would like to offer our listeners if they really want to integrate the philosophy of sufficiency and ikigai into you know, their own decision-making? Yeah. Mm. I think what I'm going to say is not new. Uh, I've been saying it. Uh, all the time and if the listeners here they follow our podcast mm. uh, they are probably going to say oh Chris you're going to say the same <laughs> thing la. there's nothing new la. right and, and, and that is we always tell people to first make life decisions before financial decisions unknowingly sometimes we make financial decisions first before life decisions mm. right and it can be disastrous What's an example of making financial decisions first? Maybe you start out in life and you say that I want to go and stay in a condo. Mm. And so you arrange your whole life in a way whereby you're going to stay in a condo. So you choose a career that will give you the highest pay. Mm. Every cent that you have, you will save towards that condo. So you adjust your life because after you use that money and you go and save everything for the condo, for example, I'm not saying that it's wrong to stay in a condo, but if that's your first decision and as a result of that, you cannot go to New Zealand already, right? right? Because if you think that, okay, I want to go to New Zealand and it's going to cost me $15,000, for example, right? Oh, 15,000, you know, actually that can go. Yeah, that can go towards my mortgage and all that, right? Mm. Then you say, okay, let's go somewhere nearer, Mm. right? So see, that's an example of you first made that life decision before making that financial decision. But if you first make life decision first, uh, or rather you first make that financial decision first before making that life decision. Mm. But if you do it the other way around, then your way would be, no, what is more important for me actually? The more important thing for me to do is while my children are young, I want to give them beautiful memories. Mm. And I really want to let them experience what uh, going around New Zealand with a camper van is all about. 
No, that's important. Okay, I'm just going to budget for it. So if it's going to cost you 15,000, 10,000 or whatever that amount is, then whatever I'm left with, if it means that I have to delay my purchase by another few years, if it means that no, la, let's just stay in a HDB flat, then so be it because mm. the life decision is more important than that financial uh, decision. Yeah, so my advice is take time, sit down and really consider what makes you happy. What are some of the decisions that you make? You know when you look back, you will say it was worth it all. Make those decisions first. And then after you make those decisions, you ask yourself, well, do I need money in order for me to execute those decisions? Or do I have to say, for maybe, for example, to go on a slower pace with my work, which means maybe I'll suffer some income loss so that I can execute those decisions. Mm. Yeah. So make all those life decisions first, then decide the, the rest of the financial decisions later. Yeah, definitely very useful advice. I really hope that the listeners you know, take this in, have think about it, and you know, start to think about their life decisions before considering their financial decisions. I think it will also help them to live a happier and more fulfilling life. Yeah, I, I'm quite confident uh, of that. I mean, I'm 54 this year. Next year, can take CPF ready. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but at 54, when you, when you look back, right? Um, actually, a lot of things when we were much younger, we think that is important. Mm. They're really unimportant. I still remember when I first joined the industry, yep. uh, my motivation was to own a Volvo S80. Okay, don't ask me why Volvo. Some people look like you know, no taste, la, Volvo. Not very pretty, you know, and uh, all Ooh, that. each his own. Yeah, but I thought I quite liked the Volvo. And I remember that uh, I had this big poster, S80, mm. pinned in front of my cubicle. And every day I looked at okay. the S80, you know. Now when I look back, it's really silly. <laughs> because if I had bought the S80 then, I didn't buy. But if I bought the S80 then, the Volvo will itch and it will look really ugly. And after a while, you know, I will have to scrap it. Yeah, now when I look back, I, I really, really don't need that car, mm. right? Uh, and I'm driving a actually very simple car. Not actually, I'm not driving. I pay for the car, but I don't <laughs> drive the car. But we have a, a, a simple family car. Yep. Um, but as a result of that, our cash flow is much better that if we today we want to go for a long holiday weekend, if I feel like eating some good food in a fine dining restaurant, mm. I don't have to think twice, right? So it is true. Um, if you make these ikigai decisions earlier, I think you will be much, much happier. Yeah, definitely something that I strive towards as well. I feel that if I can be like you, I'll definitely be much happier as well. And I think I'm already one step there because I choose to, you know, forego a career that I was doing well in yeah. and to join Provident. Yeah. So that's a ikigai decision. Yes. Yeah. And Angambari. <laughs> Angambari. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I mean, we have come to the end of uh, today's episode of um, Providence Money Wisdom podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Chris' uh, most recent Business Times article. So if you haven't read the article, right, you can reach out to any of us or your or the client advisors. We can actually send you an article. So and if you like the podcast, do rate and follow us at your favorite podcast platform. So uh, once again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. 
All analysis, views, opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability or any loss whatsoever arising from any use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited. 